Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on Ephesians. Hey, good morning, guys. If you're watching online, we're so glad you've joined us for our worship here today at the Cross Loganville. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, and I'll begin in verse 5. Now, let me, let me say this to you. If you're visiting, we're so glad that you have uh, joined us today. That number that came on the screen, the 877 number, if you've never filled out like a connect card, we call it, if you type uh, the word guest to that number, it will send you what used to be our paper trail of a, a connect card. If you would just be so uh, uh, kind to fill that out for us, we, we would have information and we can send you more info on who we are in some of the ministries here. Uh, starting next week, in the entire month of March, we're going to be breaking down the armor of God as we finish up uh, the book of Ephesians. And so that's going to be a very powerful time. Then we roll into Easter and then the entire uh, month of uh, April and most of May, I'm going to do a series on spiritual warfare. So it's all going to tie together. And in the turbulent, crazy times in which we live, I think we need a lot of help right now of what we're facing and how to go about facing it properly in Jesus' name. Okay? So I'm going to read out of the message here, uh, starting in Ephesians 6. And if I had to title this conversation and talk with you today, I would title it Developing and Cultivating Healthy Relationships. And if there's ever a time in which I've seen so much tension and turmoil and division and hostility uh, over the last nine months plus, I mean, we have seen so much chaos. And I believe each and every one of us need to take to heart this whole piece of, of developing and cultivating healthy relationships with others. I mean, it really does start with our walk with God, then it is in our marriage, and back to the parenting piece we talked about last week, and then in friendships and work relationships. This stuff right here I'm going to talk about today, I promise you will help you in any relationship you're involved in, okay? It's God's ideas, it's God's concept, but, I, but if you will apply this, man, I, I promise you it's going to free you up. So, Starting in verse uh, 5, again, Eugene Peterson in the message, I love the way he captures this. Servants, obey your earthly masters. Serve them as you would serve the real master, Jesus Christ. Don't do what you just have to do to get by, but work heartily as Christ's servants. Do what God wants you to do. Work with the right attitude. Always keeping in mind that no matter who is giving the orders, you're really serving God. Good work will be rewarded by the master regardless of your position. Masters, it's the same with you. No abuse, no threats. You and your servants are both under the same master in heaven. He makes no distinction between you and them. So here is the question really uh, being thrown at us in this text. How should we work with other people? How should we do life with other people? And the redundant phrase that we continue to visit throughout this whole thing is, you do it as if you're serving God. It doesn't matter whether you own a business or whether you work at a business, the attitude for the believer and follower of Jesus Christ should be the same. I'm here to imitate God. 
I'm here to love my neighbor as I love God, even as I love myself. I'm here to serve others. I'm here to walk in love. It doesn't matter as Paul lays this out here, whatever your position is doesn't matter. The attitude based on Philippians 2 should be the same mindset that was in Christ Jesus. And so if we really uh, took to heart, it doesn't matter what role I have, doesn't matter what position I have, doesn't matter where I'm seated, I'm called to love God and to take care of my neighbor, okay? This is huge. So, uh, so we need... We need the skill set. The more I'm, uh, the more I'm looking at relationships going down the tube right now, and 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 down the drain, we need relational skills. So Hannah and Julia and 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 Brooke and Emma, even for you young girls, teenage girls, Caleb, Ethan, Harry, I'm looking at a younger generation. Okay, if you guys can learn how to treat relationships, it will change your world. There's so many adults that don't even know how to treat relationships. And it's detrimental. So here's what I would ask you. The relationships that you're involved in right now, whether it's with family members, whether it's with friends, no matter, who, no matter what the relationship is, let me ask you this. Are they based on reality or are they based on fantasy? That's a, that's a huge question for me to ponder. Healthy relationships are based in reality. It's what is real. It's what is authentic. It's what is true. Because when you're living in reality, you're aware of the other person's strengths, you're aware of the other person's weaknesses, and when you're living there, there's honesty, grace is extended, that is crucial for a relationship to flourish. But unhealthy relationships are birthed out of fantasy. You, you've got a person living in a fantasy world. What could be, what should be in their mind replaces what is, and you don't even live in reality. It's hard to do life there. That is a very toxic relationship uh, to be involved in because when, when you try to do life with another person based on what doesn't even exist, you will find yourself fatigued, exhausted, spent, and there's so many relationships that have these expectations my working definition of expectation is premeditated resentment of the heart. As soon as you place expectations on others, you've already premeditated in your heart you're going to resent them if they don't come through the way you want them to. And the problem is most of the time there's been no communication whatsoever of even what you expect. So other people are walking on eggshells trying to figure out how to navigate with you. Oh, how stinking, tiring, and fatiguing is that? Here would be another one. Are the relationships you, uh, you're involved in right now, are they based on honesty or are they based on deception? That's a huge question right there. Deception kills relationships. One of Barb's favorite lines is this, God hates secrets. When you're covering, when you're fragmenting your disclosure, when you have convinced yourself that deceiving others really is for their benefit, oh, that relationship is going nowhere. That relationship is in very grave condition. Honesty must be at the core of a relationship if it is going to flourish. Honesty and accountability allows intimacy to take place. But when you've got a person that's hiding and covering and posing and pretending and not putting their cards on the table, that relationship is almost dead, if not 
gone. And you know, Butch, as we talk about recovery ministry, et cetera, we've made the observation that not all liars are addicts, but all addicts are liars. And so many times we get caught up into our bondage areas and, and we're hiding and we're covering. And what it's doing is it's killing the individual that's living that way, but it's creating all this collateral damage of death around you. Here's another one. Are they based on forgiveness or are they based on resentment? Forgiveness is a tremendous gift to share between two people. Relationships flourish when we're willing to forgive past hurts and disappointments. When you're in a relationship and the person is an archaeologist, and by that I mean they're constantly digging up and excavating the past that throw at you, that relationship right there is in dire straits. But when you know in your heart that you have released and forgiven, you got a chance to win. When you extend forgiveness to another person, you help them unlock their past to become the person that God desires for them to be. If you're constantly holding another person hostage for what they did a week ago or a month ago or five years ago, you're part you're part of the problem in keeping a person in captivity. And one of the things in healing, I didn't say you have to trust them. Trust is a thing that is developed and earned over a period of time. But God calls us to absolutely forgive. And when you see resentment and keeping score going on, I can promise you that you're destroying intimacy right there. And there's so many people that walk around with their little scorebook and they're constantly tallying up different things that have happened to them. You keep a scorecard, see how that's working for you. Here's another one. I would ask you, based on the relationships that you're in right now, are they based on transparency? Or are they based on the other person being defensive? Or even you being defensive? Man, this kills relationships in a heartbeat when a person is defensive, right? In a secure relationship, people are free to be truthful and transparent and honest and open and to disclose what's going on. Transparency is inviting. I love to see people transparent. I mean, even this week, I sat there. I woke up the other morning and read uh, what my daughter had written on Friday morning about her one-year celebration of sobriety. And I'm sitting there with tears in my eyes because her transparency and vulnerability and honest expression of where she had been, she made it public for everybody to read. But I sat there and read that with tears in my eyes because I said, you know what? You're not being defensive. You're not defending anything. You're being transparent about where you've been and for the hope and healing that's taking place in your life. But I can promise you, when you get in relationships and the other person is always being defensive, there's no intimacy there. There's no possibility for, for deep koinonia and, and partnership there. So I would say this to you. Healthy relationships involve mutual care, healthy relationships involve respect, compassion. Healthy relationships will always focus on a genuine interest in others to flourish and reach their ceiling in life. When you're in a healthy relationship, you want to see that person win. You don't want to see that person stay stuck. And, and if when, when we're in a healthy relationship, we feel safe, we feel secure, and we feel like we can drop the mask and drop the guard and be honest. 
And that's what we need today. God has called us to love our neighbor. God has called us to serve others. And when we treat other people that way, when we invite them into a a space where they feel like they can authentically repent and find restoration, they'll get honest. But when there's dogging and judgment and when there's uh, condemnation and condescending statements and shame, that person's not going to open up. They're not going to open up at all. And so I think God is calling us as followers of Christ, whether you're a mom, whether you're a dad, whether you're an owner, or whether you work for another place, no matter what your position is, have the right attitude as if you were serving Christ. And have the right attitude as if the person you were talking to, their story matters. And they're created in the image of God. And the shed blood that Jesus poured out on the cross is sufficient for every person on this planet. Man, once you can get there, it will start to free you up. Now, here's some of the things I wrote about a toxic relationship. A toxic relationship will be characterized by insecurities, self-centeredness, dominance. Did you hear that? Dominance and control. And we risk our sanity by staying in toxic relationships. When a person is functioning out of insecurity, inadequacy, inferiority complex, they're self-centered, they're manipulators, I tell you what, you can absolutely lose your mind. And as I've studied over the years from a psychological standpoint and even from a biblical uh, counseling standpoint, Richard, as we've worked in this space, my brother, for so many years, here's what we know. We know that a toxic person behaves the way they do for one reason. They must maintain a posture of being in full control. When you see a person that has to stay in full control, that person is indicating to you that they do not trust God. They have concluded that their agenda and their strategies and their ways are going to be leveraged. And as long as you stay in that self-protection and self promotion mindset, I can promise you, you'll never experience the joy of the Lord. Their goal will be to beat you down and manipulate you, and you will feel like you're insane at times because they've got to stay in control. Do a study on narcissistic personalities. All it is is insecurities. They're little boys and little girls who are just starving to be in control. Maybe they experienced betrayal. Maybe they were hurt once upon a time. But their real mindset is, I will be in control. And you can't be a follower of Jesus and stay in control. The only way I can follow Jesus is repent and surrender my control to him and say, hey, I trust you. You're in control. And I promise you this will help us. We must learn how to develop the right attitude for creating healthy relationships. Again, you'll hear me say this repeatedly. Relationships are not disposable. Relationships are not disposable. So whatever happens to us today... Reality is, even as I've been talking with friends and family members over the last week, I want to keep a door open that maybe there's an opportunity to minister to that person later. But when you get mad at something and you absolutely completely suffer or whatever, I'd be like, you know what? I don't trust you. I don't want to do life with you right now. But I want to keep the door open 
because God desires for us not to dispose of relationship. There's a lot of people that we do life with. Maybe they're lost right now, but who's to say in three months or five years or 20 years, they don't come to radical repentance and surrender to Jesus Christ and Based on that reality, I will spend eternity with that person in the presence of God. And even Jesus said, how can you say you love God who you can't even see when you don't love your neighbor who you do see? It's like, man, I got to love this person. Your story matters. John chapter 13, here's where I want to spin it on you today. And I pray you would get familiar with this text. But John 13 is so powerful, and it's right before Jesus gives that valedictorian address in John 14, 15, and 16 to the disciples. This is right at the time where he's about to do that last meal and break bread with those disciples. Verse 1 says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, he had come from God, he was going back to God, he got up from supper, and he laid aside his garments. Taking a towel, he girded himself, he poured water into the basin, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet. He wiped them with a towel and said, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, that's who I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. This is God in flesh. This is the Trinity in the person of Jesus speaking. This is Yeshua, Hamashiach, the anointed one of God, Messiah, that will ultimately die in a few days on a criminal's cross and be raised on the third day. This is God speaking. And he looks at his boys and says, you see what I'm doing? Now you go do the same thing. You go serve other people. You go love other people. You go take care of other people. Let me say this to you. Love is not defined by being served. Love is defined by serving. Love is not defined by getting what we want. True love is defined by helping others become all that they can be in Christ. And I think for so many people, they think the mindset is, you serve me, I own this, I'm the boss, I'm the big dog. Jesus, that's not the model of the kingdom of heaven. It's not about being served and getting what you want. It's about loving others and seeing others succeed. Let me give you some principles. We've been going through Ephesians here. But I would tell you this, principle number one for me is, you must be secure in your identity The first three chapters of Ephesians is all about our identity. And Jesus right here, even in this text, it captures, it it says, Jesus knowing, knowing. Jesus knew, I know who I am. I know where I'm from. I know where I'm going. I'm secure with who I am. And what frees a person to authentically love their neighbor and serve their neighbor is they've got to be free to know who they are in Christ. If you don't know who you are, you will continue to try to leverage or whatever, manipulate whatever you have to do to use other people to get your needs met for validation. But once you come to that freedom place, Mike, and you go, man, I I know who I am, and I, I know where I'm from, and I know where I'm going, and then this is just a short dash right here, it frees you to serve other people. 
not knowing who you are, and you can see this often, will cause you to be more of a consumer and not a servant. Who are you? Are you securing your identity in Christ? Are you still trying to figure out who you are, why you're here, where you're going? I encourage you. You can only find true identity and worth and value in Jesus Christ and him alone. It's a personal relationship. It's Christ being in you that frees you not to have to dog other people, dominate other people, control other people, or manipulate other people. Do you know who you are? Because being secure with who you are in Christ will allow you to practice agape. Agape love, unconditional, sacrificial love, which means you do the right thing at the right time for the right reason, for the glory of God. Whatever I do, deep down inside, Rick, we've talked about this so many times, brother, about loving God and loving neighbor. When we do what we do, it should be for the glory of God and for the good of our neighbor. It should be for the glory of God and for the good of our neighbor. A selfish, self-centered person will ask this question. If I stop or invest in another person to really try to help them, this is a selfish person, Dave. If I were to do something like that, what will happen to me? What will it cost me? How will it inconvenience me? How messy will I have to get in the process? Selfish, self-centered people ask that question. Love asks the question, if I do not stop and help this person, what will happen to him? See, true love, a lot of us do not give, a lot of us do not serve, a lot of us do not invest in others. It's like, if I were to do that, what will happen to me? If, if I were to serve there, what will I be exposed to? And true love says, if I do not help that person, what's going to happen to them? And that should be the mindset that we have if we're going to cultivate and develop healthy relationships. How can I help that other person flourish? And you know what's interesting is like love focuses on others. Love initiates. Love takes risk. Love is willing to, to be out there in it. I mean, love, love, love does that. And I can tell you based on personal experience, some of the people that you serve the greatest may betray you the most, and some of the people that you love the most may attack you like you've never been attacked. Love anyways. Serve anyways. I'll never forget over these last 35 years of walking with Jesus, some of the people that we've poured into the most have attacked us the greatest. But again, I will tell you this, and I, will, I, I believe this with all my heart as pastor and a life coach to you. I, I, I do. I absolutely know this is true. If we're going to say that I've been crucified with Christ, and nevertheless, it's not I that lives, but it's Christ who now lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I can promise you this. You cannot live the crucified life without other people being used in the process to nail you to the cross. And one of the things that we don't like is being attacked or being condemned or being judged or being put down. But the King of kings and Lord of lords allowed, God even said it was my predetermined plan to nail my son to the cross. 
And God's going to allow other people to take part at times in our crushing, but it is for his glory and ultimately for our good. Here's another thing I would tell you. Humility unlocks the door to authentically and genuinely serve your neighbor. You've got to be humble. The scripture says that Jesus stood and Jesus laid aside. He girded himself. He washed him. Uh, Wash the disciples' feet. But humility will lay aside. Humility allows us to radically serve. Even as I contemplate that John 13 piece, Jesus laid aside. Humility is an essential attribute if you're ever to cultivate and develop healthy relationships. Pride, God is opposed to the proud. God gives grace to the humble. A prideful person. An egotistical maniac. Stop. If you're going to authentically build healthy relationships, you've got to humble yourself. Ben Franklin said it this way, to be humble to your superiors, that's duty. To be humble to those who are your equals, that's courtesy. But to be humble to those who are inferior, that's righteous. And I think a lot of times we will humble, humble ourselves when we think that somebody is superior to us. But I will declare to you right now in Jesus' name that the ground at the foot of the cross is level for all of us. It is level playing field. And Jesus was coaching his proud disciples. None of y'all were willing to wash feet. None of y'all took the role of servant when we came into the upper room. I'm going to model to you. I'm not just going to tell you what it looks like. I'm going to show you what it looks like. Here's something interesting from a theological standpoint. If you study it, it says Jesus laid aside his garment. He became the ultimate servant. When you go back and study even Philippians 2, as I mentioned, Jesus laid aside deitic privileges and he took on the form of man. He was always laying aside. And Amy, I think God is calling us no matter where we're at and who we're working with day in and day out, lay aside role, lay aside title, and love that person, serve that person. We use the phrase here, uh, talking about we're here to reach and teach and train and send. What a reach, teach, train, and send moment this was for the disciples. Are you talking about training them up and exposing their worldview and shattering certain paradigms that they were leaning into? Jesus, he laid aside. Here's another one. Jesus took a towel, girded himself, modeling humility. Again, Jesus took the form of the servant and he came to do the will of God. That's the overarching uh, portrait of what Jesus came to do. Jesus poured water into a basin to cleanse those who were dirty. Jesus poured out his blood on the cross to cleanse us once and for all from sin. I mean, John 13 is a portrait of the ministry of Christ. It says that after he finished washing their feet, Jesus sat down. And after Jesus had dominated the cross by becoming the Lamb of God and dominating death all in the grave, and he was resurrected, he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. John 13 kind of mirrors the, the ministry, if you will, of Jesus. Don't you want to do that? Don't, don't, don't you want to live that way? Where it's like, 
That person cares about others. That person serves others. That person lives a life of humility. Well, wouldn't, wouldn't that be a good epitaph? Wouldn't that be a good uh, memorial at a funeral for you? Think about this. We came into the world with nothing, and we are leaving with nothing. Travel light. All this stuff that we accumulate, all this stuff that we acquire, oftentimes starts to weigh us down and becomes a distraction of us becoming the people of God, us being able to minister and serve. If we really understood, and even myself, if I really understood, and in the length or breadth of eternity, how short my time was on this planet, I would not be stockpiling a lot of earthly stuff. Travel light. Humility creates a desire to love others. Hey, man, I'm not going to be here forever. Jesus says, hey, if they want your shirt, give it to them. Take the extra mile. Go the extra mile. Do the radical thing to reflect the goodness of the gospel. Here's another thing for me. If I'm really going to cultivate and develop healthy relationships, I must be willing to lay aside my own personal agenda and do what's right. Our agendas get in the way at times. What we want, how we think it should go, anything I have, everything that I am belongs to my master. It belongs to Jesus Christ. What would you come into the world with? Nada. What are you going to leave with? I'm taking none of this earthly stuff with me. The only thing I have to take with me is my relationship with you. And the only thing I have to take with me potentially is any person you allowed me to lead to you, they'll be coming later on as well. I didn't come into the world with anything. I have no rights. I have opportunities. And as Paul would say in Romans 1, I am obligated. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, but I am eager to share it. But I am under obligation to share the message of hope and love others as Christ did. And even Jesus said, hey, you want to know what's good? You want to know what's honorable? It is better to give than it is to receive, and it's better to be generous than it is to accumulate and acquire. That's what Jesus said. And so the only way we can do this is get to the place where we realize we have to, we have to be confronted and lay aside the mindset of, well, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? That must be crucified. That must be laid aside. What do you mean what's in it for you? When you go and serve and when you go and share, what's in it for you? It's not about you. It's like, how can I feed this person? How can I clothe this person? How can I encourage this person? How can I help that person? And if we started every day that way, no matter where we went, all right, how can I be a servant and walk in humility and love my neighbor today wherever God has me? How would that change? What would that workplace look like? Even if the believers practice that, Right? Here would be another one I would say. Lay aside your agenda, do what's right. But here's something I know. Love does not try and prove its worth. It just lives its worth. If you're trying to prove to other people that you matter, that you have value, when we're walking with Jesus Christ, we have nothing to prove and nothing to lose. When I'm authentically walking with Christ, I'm free to live life with a kingdom perspective Your worth and value is not based on where 
you live, what you drive, or what you wear, it is based on what God says to be true about you. And if we could get to that place where we really believe what God believed about us, it would free us up. We would start to live radical lives. And you know how we multiply our influence with other people? By serving by loving and serving others. If you want to multiply your influence, no matter what type of position that you have, we've got nurses in the room, we've got CEOs in the room, owners of companies in the room, we've got a variety of people sitting in this room right now. You want to multiply your influence? Be known as one who loves and serves and watch what God does. Watch how God will put you in so many different slots to say, I can use you. You don't you don't manipulate people to get what you want. That's one of the things I wrote down right here. What mindset would better define you? I motivate others by serving or I manipulate others by getting? How would your friends and family members respond to that? If they were looking at your life, would they say, no, that one right there is a manipulator or that one right there is a motivator. That one right there authentically serves. That one right there will manipulate to take. We've got to be careful. Masters, servants, you're all in the same boat. You're to honor Master Jesus and serve no matter where you're at as if you're glorifying him and honoring him. Think about it. It would be my last one. You really want to live it out? Then you have to live a life of generosity. We talk about how generosity is the greatest apologetic or the defense of the gospel that we have with the world. They'll know that you're my disciples by how well you love, by how well you serve. And, and Rick and I were talking about this this week. I was just listening to my brother as he was sharing certain thoughts. But here's the thing. Helping others without any payback or even any appreciation in return. I think a lot of times when we do something that we feel like is for the benefit or the blessing of the other, and that person doesn't say thank you or pat you on the back or write you a note, we go, that's not why we do it. If you're doing it so that the other person will respond, you'll get your reward here. No, you do it. Well, they didn't even say thank you. Thank you. Well, who did you do it for? Did you do it for the glory of God or did you do it for, out a boy? If you're doing it so that you will get a compliment or so that you will be noticed, that's a jacked up motive, right? I mean, it's like if I'm living a life of generosity and I make a donation to a ministry or whatever, and it was like, well, they didn't even tell me, thank you. Who did you give it to? Did you give it to them so that they would say, thank you? I understand that that is a cordial response. Hey, man, thanks for investing in what we're doing. That's good, right? That's honorable. But if you're doing it and your emotions hinges on whether you're going to be applauded or not, we don't do it so that we can get anything in return. We've got to just live generous. And, and, yeah, I'm going to train my children up. When somebody does, I tell them thank you. Honor that person. But if it doesn't happen... Should it shut us down on why we did it in the first place? Our why has got to be for the glory of God. I mean, do what is best for others. Here's what I've come to realize the longer I've stayed on this planet. And this is the God honest truth. Any person that I meet on any given day 
John, I have no clue what you've been going through today. I have no clue, Merle, what your last week has looked like. And I think a lot of times we do not extend grace to people because we get an attitude with wherever they're at. I don't know where this person's been. I don't know how hard their last day or week or month has been. And it is so easy to make judgments on other people. that If we extended grace and go, you know what? How are you doing, brother? And we practiced lips, L-I-P-S, and we just listened, and we inquired, and we processed before we ever spoke. How are you doing? How's your family? And we got away from the stinking surface, fine, fine. How how, are y'all doing? Y'all all right? Every day I'm going to encounter hurting people. My good friend Harry, who will probably watch this message sometime today, he calls me last night. He goes, man, I need to talk. Harry lives in Evansville. He was on his way down to Dawson, Georgia. I said, what's up? He goes, man, they they called me and told me to get down. My sister, they don't know if she's going to make it. Harry got to Dawson, Georgia last night at 10 p.m., and his sister passed away at 10.30. And I was like, man. And he sent me a text this morning at 6.45. He goes, brother. How about that one? Got here at 10. She passed away at, at 10.30 last night. And, uh, but my mom said she was probably waiting on you to get here. I don't know what he's going through. I don't know what all that family is going to go through today. But there's so many in our world that if we just took the time to stop. Andrew, how are you doing? What's going on, bro? You know what I mean? People actually ask me that. Very few they want to tell me what's going on with them, and they want to tell me how jacked it up, jacked up they are. But I can just be honest with you, I'm cool with that. But there's a lot of days, and there's weeks and times in our life where things are hard too. And because I don't meet the expectation of wherever the person is at in the moment, a lot of times there's no grace extended because you're the pastor and you're not supposed to hurt, but yet I'm just a sheep in shepherd's cloth. Let's just love each other and serve each other and give each other grace. Let's live a life of generosity. Here's my close. Here's some things I look for in a healthy relationship. What do you look for in a healthy relationship? Think about it. What what do you look for? Here's some things I look for. One, this, this will happen, Lee, in a healthy relationship. Do they have a sincere reverence for God? that's something I look for. Do they have a sincere reverence for God? Do they play just the jump through the religious hoop and show up occasionally, or do they have a sincere reverence for God? Because if we're going to really be able to dance and have deeper fellowship and all that stuff, Richard, I mean, this, this is kind of important too. Do they believe all of God's truth, and then do they obey it? Are are they really seekers of God's word and God's truth? And do they act on what God's truth and word says? Three, do they genuinely love other people and serve other people? Where where do they land there? Um, Four, do they really hate sin? Or do they justify and rationalize and dance with sin? I mean, if I'm going to really go deep and have like deep partnership and fellowship and ministry, 
That, that, I look for that. Do they walk joyfully with the Lord? I mean, is the joy of the Lord really centered in their life? Here's another one. Do they live lives that are respectable and responsible? Where, where are they at there? Is their track record one of being responsible with God and really being respectful and respectable toward others? That matters right there. And do they live a generous life? I mean, that's one of the key things for me when I look at like relationships. Kevin, I mean, as we do life, it's like, all right, the only way, brother, that we have the depth and friendship and partnership that we do is if I go through them, like, here's some things I look for in a healthy relationship. I go, that, that's a healthy relationship. My, one of my best buddies, Neil, I look at this and I go, yes, we've got to be on the same page. I didn't write these down for me. I just wrote them down because they're key characteristics of a healthy relationship. And so as you young girls are like in high school and all this stuff trying to figure it out, you, you need to write down, please, or I'll send you these on characteristics of healthy relationships because if you're seeking to walk with God that these things right here are non-negotiables and Caleb and Ethan and Harry and all you guys I would have like mm, I like the dude but I'm gonna have to watch where I hang out with this person because these characteristics are kind of key for me if I'm gonna really have a best friend or a best girlfriend or whatever you know what I'm saying so uh yeah that's it I pray that we would, would imitate the Father. As we step into this next week of just standing firm, we've got to learn how to walk this thing out in unity, humility, love, walking in the light, walking in wisdom, walking in marriage, walking in parenting, walking in these other relationships. And then after, he goes, now, now you're walking this stuff out. Now it's time to stand against the evil attacks of Satan himself. That's where we're going to go. But I pray that we're all free to press into the Lord. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, we hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we want to see you committed to Christ. We would love to see you connected to others in a small group. And we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through uh, sharing your faith, uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You can watch past messages, your testimonies from people. We pray that you utilize those. And we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Hey, make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.